0: Tell me if you remember, Tell if
1: remember. no tellin' if you remember, yeah. I'll never forget, I'll never forget. Yeah. Welcome to the Hashtag Call podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Myself. myself, a kid in the shell, on the shell. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Hashtag Causesing podcast. I am um, happy to have my guest, John Lawson, on the show. He's someone who um, you you won't see it, but I've never seen his face because <laughs> his avatar has him cloaked. So <laughs> it was nice to see his face. Um, so, John, please introduce yourself to the audience.
0: Okay, um, I'm an author and editor, uh, working both freelance and also with uh, large and small publishing companies for about the last 19 years now. I'm the author of uh, six fiction collections, seven poetry collections, the seventh is about to drop in just a few months. Uh I have a few novels, uh, been published, you know, hundreds of credits in newspapers, anthologies, uh, literary journals, magazines around the world. Um, and mostly, you know, right now what I'm doing is trying to focus on the publishing community and, uh, trying to uh, build with, from, from within.
1: When you say you're a writer, you're literally a writer. (laughs) Um, a lot of, um, I, yeah, I, I I say I write. (laughs) As a part of what I do, um, but you are a writer by trade, by profession, um, which I, I rarely come across anyone who has that. Uh, I'm trying to, how am I trying to say this? Um, it was a profession, and now that everybody's doing it, it's rare to see someone who's ha- has the library you have i guess that's what i'm trying to say um because there's so many people who say they're writers um don't
0: write like that, <laughs> <laughs> that that's true but you know what you do counts that you know i'm an avid follower of your twitter and what have you so you know i'm checking out your you know blogs and podcasts and what have <laughs> you you're doing good stuff but you know as they say in the uh in the in tech with digital products there's that race to the bottom right once Things become, they're, they're everywhere, they're populating everywhere, it's free. Everybody expects it to be free and, you know, uh, rarely available. So it's, it's becoming hard to have this as a profession these days.
1: And, and, and I, I guess that's what I was getting to because um, without knowing that I was getting to that. But um, let's start off with the first questions that I always ask Why is it important to see, cause a scene? And how are you, John, causing a scene?
0: All right, why is it important to cause a scene? Um, okay, so from my perspective, you know, it's all about controlling the narrative and more to the point who's in control of the narrative. Um, for instance, when white people rampaged around destroying black churches, black businesses, black homes, attacking black people. Um, those are called race riots, as though there wasn't somehow a white sociopath marathon of depravity, you know what I'm saying? Um <clears throat> as though maybe black people had something to do with it. Um <clears throat> mm, it, uh, never thought of it that
1: way, as as if it was a counter to something that was already going on.
0: Right. Well, you know, yeah. it's just all about how you put it, you know. When mm-hmm. when people say that we're causing a scene, I mean, you know, every organism in the universe naturally defends its boundaries, you know? Um, But when we do that for ourselves, we are said to be causing a scene, right? Uh, We're not acting respectfully. We're misbehaving, uh, not behaving properly, All, all these different things um they call us animals uh i remember that was the big thing animals and thugs Mm -hmm. after michael brown
1: Mm -hmm.
0: so at the same time you know when they do what comes naturally that's uh celebrated right Mm -hmm. these narratives of the common man who is fighting against being trodden down into the mud uh fighting us being bullied or pushed around, fighting for their rights, that's not referred to as causing a scene. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, okay, well, you know, fine. Let's cause a problem, you know? <laughs> Let's I mean, embrace it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, w- we have no choice, right? As soon as we step out in public, our existence is politicized because people can see physically who and what we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so just every moment of public life is an act of defiance, as you have probably seen if you're a person of color on Twitter or, and elsewhere, uh, just having a, a post, having an opinion, having a picture of yourself, you're, you are instantly causing a scene, whether you intend to or not. So uh, rather than do something unintentionally without direction, I'm saying, all right, Let's do this. Let's let's move forward um, by causing a scene, raising visibility, uh, fighting to be heard, um, fighting to have a history. It's it's funny. Um, you know, my, my father he, he was born in 1932. All right, his parents, my grandparents, were born in the early 1900s. They were only one generation removed from enslaved people, all right? And the story they were sold and that my father was sold and that we were sold in school in the 1970s was (laughs) that there was no real African history. It just all started with a bunch of slaves as property in the United States. And, you know, everything goes from there, you know? Uh, In our history books, we didn't have anything... Prior to that point. So, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, as I said, controlling the narrative. And from our side, trying to retake, reclaim the narrative, having some sort of footing, some sort of grounding um, to know that we can achieve and contribute and be of value. Um, there's a book that was recommended to me by. Um, Bestselling author, Mary Robinette Kowal um, Who, she has a book out right now about women in the aeronautics program That's doing really well. She recommended Black Wings uh, Courageous Stories of African Americans in Aviation and Space History And <clears throat> a lot of that just comes from An exhibition at the Smithsonian National uh, Air and Space Museum here in Washington, D.C in the early 1980s, going back 40 years and reclaiming this history of fighter pilots in World War II and bringing that to the public. And now it's just a small handful of people who are like, no, there is this story, there is this history here. It's going to come forward. And because they raised that story up, because they raised that voice up, you have a whole generation of People of color who were inspired to get into uh, the Air Force, to get into aviation in the commercial sense, to get into NASA. Even something as simple as having the representation of one black woman on Star Trek inspired so many women to get involved. Um, So I mean, there's so many examples of the importance of showing up, um, being there, being visible, um, having having our story and voices heard. Um, I mentioned Mary Robinette Kowal. She is a a white author, white Southerner, um, but she is somebody I'm fortunate to know because She's fought tooth and nail to make the science fiction uh, genre in the United States very inclusive. And, you know, uh, if she can do that, a lot of other people can do it, too. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who are uh, woefully ignorant, you know. Mm-hmm. But these folks, they can learn. And, you know, Rick Riordan, who did the Percy Jackson series. He, I, I read all of his books to my son. And you know, it started off pretty standard. Every single book, more and more black stories, Chinese-American stories, Native American stories, gender-fluid stories, uh, people who are uh, across the LGBTQ spectrum um, and taking the Norse mythology and making that firmly... <laughs> uh, you know, firmly representing what the Norse people had in mind, but also bringing in a lot of diversity, and very much pissing off all these guys out here running around with their Norse tattoos, trying to <laughs> claim white power. Um, I've heard the the controversy about Chuck Wendig over the weekend. He's a author, very popular, doing a Star Wars tie in novels, and
1: oh, um, he got fired.
0: Yes, yes, and you know I I know him from Facebook. All right, Mm -hmm. I don't know him really well, but over the years I've been seeing like, oh, Chuck's doing okay. Oh, he's got this novel. Oh, you know what? Let me and my son read this book. You know, this seems pretty good. Oh, cool! He's doing the new Darth Vader series for Marvel Comics, and uh, there I guess there was an organized online campaign to get him off the series, to get him fired from Marvel and uh, from Disney altogether. And it worked. Um, And I'm not sure what exactly the calculation was there, following up on the heels of Black Panther being this huge success to being like, okay, we're going to go with Nazis and whatever they say is good. But
1: I'm going to stop you there because I want you to elaborate uh, because I was the first time I heard about him was over the weekend. So why was his firing um, like a, a moment? Why is it important?
0: Well, it's interesting because he is one of those people that I've looked at and that women have looked at. And we've been like, okay, people of color and women, we couldn't get away with saying the stuff he does. He's always been very uh, snarky, very crass, very uh, foul-mouthed, maybe. <laughs> and But Marvel knew that when they hired him. Disney knew that when they hired him. That's been his shtick all along. You know, it's not in his writing and his books, necessarily, but his blog, his public persona, that's been him. And that's what he got fired for. Uh, They didn't fire him for his writing. They didn't fire him because he included these uh, gay characters in the Star Wars uh, books. Um, They fired him because he was supposedly breaking their rules for conduct, which he was doing before they hired him and during the whole entire time. Now he has, you know, pretty big fan base and he was doing a lot to um the his stories are very contemporary, you know, um, and they were good. But Marvel caved to the pressure of the people who were not buying their products anyway for many movies because they decided to have a woman as a main character in Star Wars and they had, you know, people of Asian-American uh, backgrounds and, you know, people who are black as big-time characters in the Star Wars franchise now. So these people, they're not spending money. They're not contributing anything. and Marvel's listening to them anyway. So the feeling is like, wow, okay, you know, we get shut down all the time. Now they're starting to turn around and come for the white men who are usually privileged enough to get away of saying and doing whatever they... They want to. And in Chuck's case, he was using that position of influence to further the cause of other marginalized groups all along. And, you know, this is exactly what we said would happen, you know, two or three years ago that these people came to power. You know, of course, they're coming for us and they're going to be coming for you next. Um, but that just shows we can't put it on some other people we can't wait and say okay i mean yes it's very good that there's people like mary who has been putting up with stalkers and all these people trying to infiltrate the uh sci-fi scene the the nazis really wanted to control the narrative there um i'll get into that a little bit more later um rick Riordan, chuck wendig these people this is great they're using their platforms but we have to we have to raise our voices too um, we have to tell our own stories. We have to, have to live our own successes. All right. Um, I mean, because there's only so far these people can reach. And also, you know, if you, if you look at the broader, uh, sense of, uh, these diversity initiatives and things, you know, a lot of them are all intentioned in these different companies, but you know, in terms of implementation, are they really there? Um,
1: yeah, you speak too. So I want to stop you there because I want to bring up two points and I'll bring up the first one, the last one first, because you just mentioned it. And I've been speaking a lot. Um, I just spoke at Bitcoin Blacks in Tech conference in Minneapolis in front of um, Best Buy CEO and their diversity and their HR people. They were there because um, they were sponsors of the space that we were in at that moment and I talked about um, the reasons why these initiatives aren't working, and you speak to that, and I wanna draw this back in just a minute, um, is because intentionality isn't working. Strategy is better, but it's not working because what we're not facing or not addressing is that these systems are based in white supremacy. (laughs) And, um, and we're gonna go nowhere until we address that. And this is what I said to the CEO and everybody there, um, that all these great intentions and motive, you know, and it's it's this is not about feeling good. This is about this is like you just said, Marvel. This is ROI. This is return on investment. And lack of inclusion is a risk management um, um, issue. And you're gonna continue to have this kind of pushback when white supremacy is the root of our economy and our healthcare and our educational systems and everything. And this leads me to the, the, my second concern. Um, and I want to specifically talk about, I love how I never know how these conversations are going to go. Um, this, this gentleman who has been brash and, and, and outspoken and, and was, was literally fighting for marginalized people and lending his privilege, um, and was fired. But I want to play devil's advocate because the other side of this, the Nazis, these the alt-right, whatever you want, whatever you want to call them, whatever they call themselves, would say the same thing happened to um, Alex Jones.
0: Right. Right, yeah, they would. That is that is their argument, and that's why they're starting to target people and work so hard to get them fired. But, I mean, you know, the thing is, they've been getting people fired for for years, you know, uh, with the white tears syndrome, with hiring practices, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, this obsession with the one time a person of color fails, right, and ignoring all their successes. hmm Meanwhile, focusing on the one time the white guy hit big and one <laughs> of all his failures. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, um, so I mean, I, I feel like it's only been very recently that we've been able to push back and say, you know what? People who want whole entire parts of the population killed or removed, who want to do ethnic cleansing or genocide or whatever, let's not employ them. And companies saying, oh, okay, (laughs) that is now becoming, uh, you know, the equivalent with, uh, uh, you know, well, again, this was a a respectability politics issue. This guy is not respectable, right? Mm -hmm. And let's get him fired. And uh, they will hold up Alex Jones wanting to, you know, put out conspiracy theories that get people, you know, targeted for harassment or violence. Yeah they'll put that on the same level as this guy who kind of cussed a lot on his blog, you know?
1: Okay, so that's what I'm... And maybe it's the author in you, uh, because you're ringing out these things that I wanna draw some parallels to. Because as you know, following me, I like to, because whiteness is so ignorant of its own history and how to process or see white supremacy and racism, I like to juxtapose a lot of things. And so what you just said was so clear to me for this argument. Now, again, I already know my target artist is not the swastika, KKK. They're not. There's absolutely nothing I can say to them. But this conversation for those individuals who have these questions and may be afraid to ask what the differences are. And John just mentioned it. So I apologize. What's the indiv- the individual from Marvel's name again?
0: Uh, Chuck Wendy.
1: Yeah. Okay. So Chuck Wendy is writing stories. Um, he is creating narratives that speak to a broader population. Um, in media and entertainment, he has a personal blog or tweets where he shares his personal ideologies or his own ideas let's juxtapose that to an alex jones okay and also let's back up this individual is also employed by other people so let's juxtapose that to alex jones who is alex jones who's created an empire quote on a kind of media that is designed to cause friction, um, to cause, um, to sell fake news. Um, and it's entertainment as well for me. To me, I see it as, as very much entertainment because if that wasn't, if the, if the need of the, his target audience changed, he would also. Um, and, but yet the results, so this is someone who's intentionally creating and strategically creating these narratives that now let's, that's a cause. Now let's look at the effect of these things. This is where the difference lies. effect are movies and entertainment and media that's making money um, for Marvel and all these other entities. And outside of the individuals who just inherently just don't like it, it's not causing harm or trauma to any in in individuals. Jones, on the other hand, is the 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 effect of his cause is causing (laughs) literal, physical, tangible harm to individuals in our communities. That is the difference. And this is where, this is why I do not, I do not, and I'm gonna say, and you guys know I use capital letters all the time, so please visualize, I do not agree with anyone deciding that they're going to have a dialogue or a debate with a Steve Bannon, it is not going to, it's not happening because to have a debate or a dialogue, they have to be common rules. And when you, and this is, oh, I'm about to get political here really, because this is where I never, I, I didn't understand when we, with the, when we went to war, we start the Iraq-Iran war um, after um 9-11. We went in <sighs> the United States went in with guns blazing, acting as if both sides were playing by the same rules. You have individuals who have based on ideology, have a part of their strategy is suicide. You have US soldiers who want to come home. That does not match. You cannot, that, that, that is, there is such a mismatch there. How do you fight an, an, an opponent who is willing to die and the other side is there to do a job and come home? So when you talk about debating these individuals you're not even a, a real debate has rules. There's no way you're going to agree on the same rules when the when the the effect of their cause is to cause as much disruption, chaos as possible. So, and I and I wanted and and it, and the reason I'm breaking this down and I'm. I I love when I have the guests that come, that's what I'm, now I'm understanding why I spent a bit of time at the beginning talking about you being a writer as a profession, because you have been able to articulate it in ways that I can now jump on and say, okay, now I see what I'm, where I'm going with this, because this is where the disconnect is. This is where, when you talk at the beginning about, and I never even thought about causing a scene this way that that, you know, for whiteness, this wouldn't be causing a scene. This would be them having their First Amendment rights upheld. And for me, I'm being divisive. I'm being racist. I'm being all these things just because, because of technology. I have a mic now, which I never did. So you can't tell my story. You can tell it, but I can challenge it. For the first time, we're able to challenge it. And whiteness is not used to that. They're used to being able to tell the, na- steal the narrative, tell the narrative, create the narrative, all these other things. And everybody's saying, well, since they're the authority, we're going to go with that. And um, so I'm telling, I'm breaking this down. And thank you, John. It's because I've never thought about it this way or articulated it this way. And, why I, and it goes back to now why I've started using on all caps, this is what white supremacy looks like. Because people think it has to come in these violent um, screaming, it has to come in this one package. And yes, it does come in that one package, but that's the rarity. What happened in Charles, Char- Char- Charlottesville was the rarity. Every single day, there are opportunities and instances where white supremacy is further marginalized the, the the oppressed. And because whiteness who want to do this work, who are now seeing for the first time that they have been causing harm to the very people they care about. And they don't see it because they've not been trained to see it. They've been trained to actually not see it. So thank you for that. That was because I've been trying to articulate the Steve Bannon Bannon thing, and and I'm and I've been saying it, but when you brought up the Chuck and I thought about the Alex, that's the difference. It's the outcomes. And, and it's, it's the thing of until we can, we commit to prioritizing the safety and the voices of the marginalized, this will not happen. It cannot be, about, this is not about equality. So first amendment speech thing does not work here. This is not about equality because again, I cannot have a, a I already know going in that I'm not going to have a a um, what I would consider a constructive conversation with Steve, with Hannity, with Alex Jones, with um, Rush Limbaugh. None of those individuals. And I and, and then I want to say this, because what has been coming up as is as is and. And what has not been articulated in a way that I think it needs to be articulated. And you did a good job by saying when when we have one mistake, it's all 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 of our successes are ignored. But then when they have one mediocre success, all of their mistakes are ignored. When we as marginalized people are seen not to be able to have a successful, quote unquote, conversation with these individuals, it becomes a defect on our part. It is seen as is we're we're lacking. Oh well, you just didn't know. Nope, nope. The rules were. Not, I, I went in with one intention.
0: They go in with another intention, and there is nowhere to meet in the middle. Absolutely, I hundred I, percent I agree. I two hundred percent agree. I one thousand five hundred percent agree. <laughs> just uh, the, there there is no there's no comparison. There is no Um, and that's what people have been
1: trying to do. They've been trying to weigh it as if it's on this, like you can weigh it on a scale. Like they, like, um, like Malcolm Gladwell, he just, oh man, it's like, uh, see these white people who I've, who I've admired. And now when I see everything through the lens of privilege and white supremacy, it's like, oh fuck, there's another one because (laughs) it just becomes the so. Pitted so couched in their privilege that they don't see it. And his whole thing was, well, we need to debate. And if we don't understand, there is nothing they're saying that's new. I completely understand their view.
0: I mean, I mean, literally in the early 1930s, there were newspaper opinions here in the United States, um, sort of dismissing the whole thing that was happening in Germany, the rise of Hitler and all the, the Nazism as just economic, literally economic anxiety. The exact same phrase they're still using today.
1: Everyone in the Hashtag Call to Scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, Lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag economic.
0: Literally economic anxiety, the exact same phrase they're still using today. How many decades later?
1: And I'm glad I have you here because that's why I like Sharon when she was here. I like I love history because everybody acts like this stuff is new. Nope. It's not. We've been here. And this is why I, particularly black people aren't panicking because we've been here. <laughs> we've seen what, you, what, what whiteness is capable of doing. And we will sit down, we'll hunker down. In the past, we got in our little thing and said, OK, this too shall pass. You know, Lord save us and blah, blah, blah. Now we're like, fuck you. Um, <laughs> <For real. laughs> There's nothing wrong with the church, but the church is not solving this. So, um, we're, and as you said, this is not new. And everybody acts like these are just, oh, I had this Marvel idea. No, you have not. This is not Marvel. You rehashed some bullshit that was debunked. And now you're trying to peddle it off as brilliance, and because whiteness is so ignorant of its own history, they see it as oh this oh there, this president is 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 on our side, and no, he's on the side of white rich men. And if you're not a white white rich man, he's using you.
0: Absolutely, that's the truth.
1: Ah yes, I love when I have these epiphanies because it just further helps me to know who to gaslight when I gaslight people on Twitter (laughs) and how to frame it so that those white individuals, or I'm not even just going to say white individuals because we are two black people on this podcast today. And it's not just white people. It is all those modern minorities who have bought into their proximity to whiteness who are also causing harm. Um, who who have been taught that to come to the U.S., you can be anything as long as you are anti-Black. And this is the conversation that they don't want to have as they are fighting for their own liberation. The fact that they are doing so again, at the expense of Blackness. And that's one reason I liked, uh, the one thing I liked about um, that Seeing White series by um, seen On Radio, that there was one episode about how many people of um, Indian descent, people of Asian descent, um, went to court so that they could be classified as white. And when... The white said, oh, well, no, we didn't consider No, 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 no. We weren't talking about you. <laughs> um, and changed the rules again. How many times they jumped through hoops so that they could go back to court to be, to get that, that title and juxtapose their whiteness against blackness?
0: there is so much work for us to do internally externally it's wild yeah it's wild.
1: yeah and 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 you talk about internally we talk uh, um we often see on social media um in our black communities internalize white supremacy um and the more i s- i learn the more i recognize it and yet because of the more the the more I learn, <clears throat> I refuse to be one of those people who says that this individual can no longer be a part. We just check them out of blackness, because I oh man, this is such a mind fuck. It is just, it is, uh, it is, and 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 I, and I speak to um, specifically um, this this podcast will air in November, but this won't be. Past news, Amarosa and um, Kanye. First of all, not ever understanding or knowing where Amarosa came from and the trauma she experienced as a Black girl growing up in, in a poor community, and both her father and her brother were killed, and all these other things, and yet she still learned how to play the game their game in the way that they didn't even know this damn girl was in this lady was in there recording ass hmm. i says i, I give us some kudos for that <laughs> um and that goes to also the fact that they underestimate us so much that what comes to mind is she you know the slave the the servant and the white people say anything around us and not thinking we're gonna say anything back you didn't even think to check her for, for recording devices mm-hmm. in the situation room. You didn't even think, I mean, then even and, and that tells you you don't know anything about black women who are always documenting every damn thing <laughs> because we got to cover our asses. We're mm-hmm. always walking around with a notebook. We're always recording it, saving emails because we have to cover our asses. And then you look at Kanye and everyone wants to say, oh if his mom were was still around he'd be different and i'm going to challenge that because and i don't mean any disrespect but his mom's death was caused because she had plastic surgery when other physicians told her she was not in the health to have it so it's it's it, it it's that pervasive and I don't know what, you know, I don't know what caused her to want to have a tummy tuck so bad or a liposuction or whatever. I think it was liposuction. But we can't blame this mother for this grown ass man's behavior because it's, we all, it shows that we all struggle. And he is who he is. He's saying what he thinks he needs to say. He is having the relationships he believes that he needs to have. Although, in my opinion, and what I know about white supremacy, he is definitely a pawn. And whether he recognizes that or not, because it becomes a narrative of Black people are on our side. He does not speak for all Black people. He speaks for Kanye. And and that's that's the thing you saw on Fox News and everything else. It's like you get the one token black, so they swapped Amarosa out and now they have Kanye. Um and it just builds the narrative. It is again, they're get, they're trying to tell us what and who we believe in based on this one individual's um comments behavior and people are saying and i've said it he looks like a person who's having a nervous breakdown or some kind of mental thing but i'm not a psychologist i don't know this is what it looks like to me and um but what i can tell you is coming from how much gla- gaslighting black people have had it looks so familiar to us so whether it was him railing for trump there've been millions of individuals like him railing against white supremacy, sitting at somebody's desk when they're telling you some white person, some white woman has said, you've been, you've, uh, um, you've, you've been uh, aggressive towards them. And I, uh, that's what I saw there. I didn't, all that other stuff is, is is circus to me. It's, is, is entertainment. But what I saw was a black man who like, (sighs) You know, I was like, "Mm." (laughs) and he'll never be not invited to the picnic for me because "Mm." (laughs) there's so much that internalized white supremacy, that internalized anti-blackness is just, and he would is just, "Mm."
0: well, the only thing I want to say about Kanye and from what you touched on there was about his mother. People are always going to find a way to put on a woman when a man behaves badly. A, and a black woman, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, mm, yes. Whenever black woman's around, so yeah. That's all I'm gonna say about that,
1: yeah, and that's and that's why I'm that's why I balk at that because she, she is not response. She was not. That was a grown ass man. <laughs> when 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 she passed away, she was he was a grown ass man. And again, um, I see n- to know that physicians who say. Please don't do this. I'm not going to give you this surgery. And you still do that? That communicates to me, not a defect in her, but also just a broader how we as individuals see ourselves in
0: this world. And in particular, how we see women and their role to be pleasing in sort of uh, all sorts of aesthetic ways. And now we're getting into the intersectionality of different types of supremacy. Yes. Yes. So yes.
1: speak on let's talk about intersectionality, because that's a big thing that um been coming up lately. I've been having these conversations or, um with these radical feminists who just don't care and will tell you that they do about. If you say one more time, you're on my side or I'm your ally, and yet you are saying that trans women aren't women. Um, and that, oh, so you don't care about them going into bathrooms with you. No, I don't care about them being in the different, we're not peeing in the same hole. um, I don't care. They're in their own stall. They're doing whatever they're doing, and yet you've made them into pedophiles, but yet you will, hmm, fight to uphold a president who will grab people by the pussy and a Supreme Court nominee was in a job interview who lost every sense of decorum that anybody in a job interview would have. Um, yeah, you're not on our side. You don't understand. Well, yeah, you do. It is the same white feminism that has always been. So can you speak to intersectionality and in your understanding, particular as an author and as a Black man? Because a lot of men don't talk, speak about intersectionality.
0: Well, you know, I view, uh, you know, having my position that I do, having the audience that I do, um, that I have to speak on it. I mean, if I'm going to talk about one thing and not the other, you know, what kind of, what what amount of veracity do I have to talk on any kind of oppression if I'm not talking about all the oppression, you know what I'm saying? So, um, (laughs) yeah, it's very interesting dealing with, uh, okay, so there was a study recently, right, that... um, Among white people in the United States, even among liberal, progressive, left leaning white people in the United States, they still have the most limited, narrow social networks Mm -hmm. in the United States. They have about one person of color in nine people that they know.
1: Oh wow! I'm happy to have the data. I just knew they were very segregated because so many of them have said that Twitter is the first
0: time they've ever engaged in this, this large quantity of, of people of color. Oh yes,
1: mm-hmm.
0: oh yes. And the amazing thing is that you know the, the most recent census data I think revealed that only about 60 percent of the United States is uh, what they call non Hispanic whites, right? So about 40 percent of people who are of some other ethnicity, some other color. Right? So, you know, they're, they're, they're not mixing, all right? They're not mingling. They're not getting these other perspectives. They're not tapping into these other narratives. Um, they're limiting themselves to one in nine people instead of the four out of ten that are available. They're still rooting for shows like The Wire and it as so realistic, but not saying that shows with a middle-class black family living happily, are so realistic. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I feel like there's a, a very strong... People don't like to see black excellence, Kim. Oh, then, pff, yeah, duh. <laughs> <laughs> and people don't like to see female excellence. They, they are, we're all born into this system, this contemporary system that values these various supremacies. Which means, you know, at its core, it means that men and whites are basically incapable. They have to have all these blacks and women propping them up. Mm -hmm. They have to have us beneath them, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, they're they're so cynical about their own ability to compete, to be self-sufficient, that they won't even hear of trying. No, a woman has to cook me dinner tonight, every night. That's her job. And so you know,
1: why walk into a that situation? Just, I'm sorry, that just hit me. That just really, I'm, I'm a process. Keep talking because I'm a process. Why that that just affected
0: me? Go ahead. All right. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's our it's our jobs as as people in the community, as parents. You know, for instance, with my son, he's he's out here knowing how to take care of himself, do his laundry. I've got him out here cooking and whatnot. You know what I'm saying? He has to be a self sufficient adult. You go into a conversation with a man about men and women, and you drop the word adult, they don't like that. Because that implies responsibility. And then also implies some sort of parody, men and women being equal, if they're both adults, right? Mm-hmm. They like to talk about men are this way, women are this way.
1: Mm-hmm. They don't
0: wanna talk about since <laughs> you started looking through the lens of adulthood, Start so time all sorts of responsibility issues. And that's where men just sort of, you know, they're sneaking out the back door.
1: <laughs> they just <laughs> fall. They fall like flies. <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. So um, one thing I proselytize about, I advocate for, I'm going into all these different spaces like you. I'm traveling around the country a lot for all sorts of different engagements, um, workshops, um, speaking at universities, uh, being a panelist at conventions um all sorts of things and it's a problem i think in every single industry getting men to uh, respect the spaces of women respect the uh amount of labor and work that women put in uh intentionally and unintentionally the positions that we put them in um so um i work a lot on trying to advocate for uh well, let's face it, common sense isn't very common, all right? So, especially in the wake of uh, Me Too, it's been a year now. We're a year out from that, right? And
1: um, Now, I want to correct you. We're out that it's been a while. Let's let, let's give. Um, okay,
0: well, okay. okay. Yes. Yeah, we want to talk a real, real Me Too. Yes, exactly. Right.
1: And that's the only one we're going to talk about because they, oh, yeah, because right. they, oh, again, white women co-opted. Yes. Yes. Um, and I want to make sure on my show I give credit to um, the black women who started this movement. Go
0: oh, yes. And and when I say me too, you know, obviously women have been living this since long before there was any hashtags. Have mm-hmm. All right. I mean, I don't need to tell you. But um, <clears throat> but since last fall, when things blew up in the media about this, I've been working on a guide that's sort of revised about ten times now, which I'm about to start distributing for free online uh, in the coming months here a guide just for for men to get with what's up resources to check out um, some guidelines for you know how to handle yourself um, there were people I knew okay, let's go back to tech all right for a second uh, in the first wave of all the 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 allegations and things that came out last fall in mm-hmm. Peshavar was I think the first big tech giant in Silicon Valley to sort of tumble mm-hmm. all of all this I went to school with him I was in a management program with him communication mm-hmm. arts magnet from seventh grade through high school mm, okay he was the first person to sort of embrace me and uh, be my friend in the seventh grade first new person sort of be like Hey, you know, everything's cool. Um, and just, he was a pretty good guy. He was very, uh, very progressive. Always had a lot of political ambitions. As we got into high school, I started noticing some odd things, some weird applications of uh, responsibility here and there. And, uh, and that's why I called bullshit on his whole reason why he couldn't fly to England to face his charges for uh, misconduct there. Because he used the same excuse to get out of fights in high school. Oh, oh, shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it was a different organ. He had some sort of illness with a different organ that he used as an excuse for why he couldn't fight. And, you know, it's was, it was all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was working behind the scenes, talking to people like, you know, who used to know him, who knew me. Like, you know, have you hung out with them lately? What's up? And they're like, yeah, you know, when where there's smoke, there's fire, basically. And of course, I knew lots of other women. Um, there was a lot that came out in the publishing industry, a lot of gatekeepers abusing power. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew somebody personally who was also affected by the whole thing of Brett Ratner and, um, and, uh, and all that in New York City. With Run D M C and whatnot, um, so you know you don't have to sit and listen to women's stories, but you should to understand uh, why these things are wrong. You know, mm-hmm. if 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 you're black, you you've lived it. You know, what I'm saying you've lived oppression, you've lived being denied opportunities based on who you are physically. Um. And <laughs> it's just so wild, you know, so wild.
1: I want to go, I want to take us back a step. Cause when you said something about that, um, cooked my dinner, <laughs> it, it, it hit me in a way because I've been having these conversations, um, and I've been having them online and no one has actually responded. <laughs> and it's like, where do black women go for soft, their soft space? We are like the moral compass. Everyone comes to us, steals from us. Do uh, We are like, it's like, get off our teats. But where do we go? Because our black men aren't there for us. Definitely can't get it from m- modern minorities. Um, can't get it from white people. And so it, it then becomes the responsibility of other black women to hold up other black women. And all of us are fucking tired. That's just, just the bottom. We're just tired. And you can't give what you don't have. And I want to give you an example of this. So that... Conference this past weekend, and um we had been sitting around it was a oh my god, it was a great conversation we had been sitting around for five hours, actually, just going in and out of the speaker's room, having these conversations. people get up, have to go speak, come back, and just and just all kinds of conversations and they were very they were challenging' because we were challenging each other on stuff and various opinions, but nobody was disrespectful. it was just um really good so towards the end, these two individuals. Are having a comment. These two black guys, one's from um, Africa, but one's um, from the United States, and they're the the United the guy from the United States has says this this comment, and it's kind of mm, it's kind of mm, prickly in the way he presents it already. So the guy from Africa challenges him, and and before you know it, now mind you, the whole time there were black women in this room coming in and out and you could see the 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 discomfort that everybody was having at this point so then it takes so they're they're not arguing but they're ch- it's just like this challenging thing and um so it's the one black woman steps in and and, and, and starts communicating the African guy says, that's what I was trying to say, and I was ineffective in saying it. I say something, and then the guy from the U.S. is saying, yes, that's what I'm trying to say, blah, blah, blah. And then all of us as women are saying, this got this was very uncomfortable for us. We just need to let you know that how you were just engaging was very uncomfortable for us. So these individuals are getting up to leave, and then they say, say thank us for... The intervention, I'll call it that. And I stop them and say, what you've just done to us is what everybody does to us. we Do you know the emotional labor it took for us to do that? So I don't want your thanks. I want you to be aware and not be a bull in a china shop for other people to go back and clean up. And I just had a conversation because we were on a panel where a black man said, how can we support black women? And this is I was show up. And these are the things that happen to us over and over in our personal and professional lives with the men in our lives. And you spoke to it about that level of responsibility. If women have learned, I'm, I'm going to keep it to black women because we have our issues when we're trying to con- have a com- conversation with white women. When we have learned, when we have the ability in professional settings to remain professional, it is not our job to teach men to do the same thing. And I'm bringing this up and I wanted to highlight this because you hit a good point in this another area of where it's the same thing as swastikas and and hoods. There are various ways where you oppress black women when you put a a burden on us that we don't want, but because of our own safety, we have to address. Because all the Black women in that room felt, I mean, it was beyond discomfort. And our body language showed it, our faces showed it. So in order to protect ourselves, we have to now weigh into your bullshit to de-escalate something that shouldn't have gone awry in the first place.
0: Yeah, men are very accustomed to being uh, oblivious, <clears throat> even of themselves. You know, they they get to do that. Why? Because there's so many women around to support them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you know, I'm always advocating for being able to read by language, not mm-hmm. staying too close to women, being able to tell you know if people are comfortable, or uncomfortable, and you can if you can learn that, you can apply that to men too. And <laughs> one one thing I'm always telling men is just stop speaking. Have you tried not talking? <laughs> First, you said try not talking oh my god that's a, are you sure does <laughs> that work i mean especially on panels when you're on panels of women oh yes come up and talk yeah i was uh i was at the Capclave convention uh two weekends ago when i was the moderator for the panel on uh, afrofuturism the future of afrofuturism and every other panelist there's like five or six uh intelligent articulate women who'd black women who just really had powerful and compelling discussion. My job was mainly to stay out of the way. I put out some points mm-hmm. for them to talk about and just, mm-hmm. you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, you know, <laughs> I'm always asking, man, look, you know, did you sign up for a lecture? Did you try that? You can do that on programming. You know, <laughs> you don't have to be on a panel. <laughs> if you just want to hear yourself speak, you know, you can even stay at home and just of in front of a mirror and talk. Mm-hmm. But um, for instance, okay. I, I mentioned I, I've been published, you know, Hundreds of publishing credits, right? And around. Mm-hmm. So I started, you know, realizing along the way, like, uh, you know, reading these anthologies, like, hey, you know, these women, they're killing it. Why did this editor just let me do this? You know, why didn't they make me bring it up a notch? You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. They just wanted a guy with some publishing credits, so they can say, "Hey, I've got this man with all these publishing credits," and the women were just like extra. Mm-hmm. And I was like. Fuck y'all. Uh, <laughs> I just stopped sending out stuff because, you know, the editors weren't serious about it. They weren't pushing me to be my best. Mm-hmm. They were demanding way too much of women. Yes. Also, I'm, I'm just sitting there taking up space. I'm a bump in a log, all right? Yeah. All right, the stuff was okay. You know, it was, it was I guess, professional enough, but it wasn't operating at that level. You know what I'm saying?
1: And how, as a, oh, oh, as a man... Because this is a big thing, I want you to be honest about that. How did that make you feel? Because this is the this is the thing that I think stops a lot of men from shutting up or or doing. Because to understand that you, what you're bringing is mediocre, um, and and you know the ego and and I got to defend. So how did that make you feel when you recognize
0: that they were killing it and you weren't? I mean, you know, I have my good stories. I have my bad stories, right? Um. <clears throat> But if I can look at a magazine and be like, ah, oh, they just let this, you know, old white dude just call it in, that could have been a space for another black person or a Vietnamese American or whatever.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How can I then not look at at what's happening with like, you know, my other stuff and be like, oh, you know, hey, maybe I'm also taking up space too. I mean, obviously I work to up my game continually, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, after you've been published around in enough magazines, and anthologies, and stuff, why you know why are you still doing that? Why are you taking up space? Other people need to, those spots to build up their reputation, mm-hmm. so they can get actual book deals and whatnot.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, um, yeah, it feels good. It might be a little bit extra money in your pocket, but after a while, you just need that splash of cold water to be like, oh, you know what? I need to move out of the way. And how it made me feel was, I was pissed off. Not, and you know, not the women. I was I was impressed with the women. I was kind of pissed off at the editors and you know kind of felt like hmm you know I'm I'm uh, I'm letting people down I need to you know take it up to the next level take it up a notch and uh you know so it was self responsibility on you it, it oh, was yeah. like yeah it was
1: it was totally like this is something I need to work on
0: well you know there's there's the man thing of looking for a woman to blame yeah or there's you know like I said about adulthood yeah <laughs> no, yeah <so. laughs> There's nobody out here making me do anything except for myself mm-hmm. I'm responsible for myself, I'm responsible for my son. that's it, you know what I'm saying
1: yeah, yeah and i I wanted to bring that up because that is a huge and I see that in a lot of the uh, I saw it in the james i' forget the dude's name the google manifesto um it was all about blaming more or whatever its yeah blaming other blaming women and 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 when What's really happening is white men are realizing how mediocre they are, because by the time a person if 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 there was affirmative action, by the time I'm going to take white women out of this, by the time a person of color has met all the qualifications for affirmative action, we're already ahead of you. We're already we we've we've done it. We've are we are we are. T's crossed dots the um eyes dotted. We are p's and Q's. We know this is our chance. We're not gonna fuck it up, and we are in there rocking and rolling. And what's happening is the traditional hires are recognizing or uh, they well, this is what they're not recognizing. they're blaming others, but they don't they're not up to par. And so instead of adulting and coming up to par and seeing that as oh, this raises the bar for all of us It makes our business good, our intellectual property, our in- knowledge within the organization better. It becomes a finger pointing using fake science and all these other sc- kind of stuff. And that's why I brought that up, because it's prevalent in tech now with, oh, if you're bringing in uh, women of color or marginalized groups, LGBTQ, you're lowering the bar. This uh, it's very obvious of your perspective of not knowing how hard it takes us to even get to the bar, to get to the door. You know, no, I'm not going to say no, because there's absolutes. Very few of us are walking in the door just because of a
0: network. <laughs> very few. Just being able to navigate the, the social cues from outside of our yes. cultures. Uh, not having the same backgrounds, the same connections, the same uh, just common grounds, you know, even if we're more or less politically on the same page, it's an issue. Yeah. You're you're, you're swimming upstream.
1: Yep. Yep. So I'm glad you brought that. Thank you for bringing that. uh, Again, I did not know we were going to have a conversation about, men, and I love it because I'd like, I don't have that perspective. Um, I have some gut feelings about some things, but, um, just because I've been an observer of human behavior and I've been in education and I've been all these other things, but they're basically theoretical when it comes to, cause I have no practical knowledge of what, it, like, what it's like to be a man. Um, so thank you for that. Um, this has been an amazing conversation. I want to wrap up with you. What are some final th- this has been a really good conversation. <laughs> um it's, we've kind of been all over the, the the place, and I like that um any t- anyway, first of all, I want to ask and I maybe shouldn't ask this online on but I'm going to ask it anyway is it possible to to provide your guide as a show note when i publish when this gets published because I want to put it in the show notes so it's available to people okay. so um if that's Good with you. Or if not, that guy some kind of resource for those men you're trying to reach out to.
0: Sure. Absolutely.
1: All right. So to wrap this very eclectic, but very connected conversation up, what do you, what would you like to leave the
0: audience with? Uh, well, you say it yourself. Uh, you use the words to show up, just show up. Uh, I remember after uh, the public execution of Trayvon Martin. There was somebody posting on Tumblr about having a day called Just Show Up, where Black people would be seen in public spaces wearing hoodies, to acclimate people Mm -hmm. to seeing Black folks, to challenge the notion of Black folks being up to no good if they're wearing hoodies, to Mm -hmm. make people uncomfortable. Just show up. Just do it. Uh, What you said about these people spending so much energy and effort to do anything other than improve themselves, but instead putting all that effort into making their team weaker by eliminating people of color who are qualified, eliminating women who are qualified so that they can seem like giants in comparison to the nothing that's left around them. You know, they could take all that effort and put into bettering themselves. <laughs> Likewise, people who are interested in things getting better think about the things you do in your life, the amount of energy and resources that you put into things, time, money. If you put a fraction of that into just showing up, just being there, um, you know, part of what I do is I work with an organization called the diverse writers and artists of speculative fiction. And we are filling up the science fiction, fantasy horror conventions with people of color, Mm. you know, why uh you know the the white nationalists are out there crowdfunding and trying to get 200 of their you know white men to show up at these conventions too we're taking up space we're getting the narrative out there um it's not that hard you know if you know somebody else who's doing something you maybe you're not in a position to do something support them
1: Mm
0: -hmm. um so that you know speak up if you see something going wrong if you have a friend who's uh, sexually harassing people, you know, and you know it, you know what? Call them out. You know, don't don't give them a space to don't give anyone space to harass or bar people. Just do what you can. It doesn't have to be perfect. I uh, I officiated a, a wedding at the ice facility. I'm ordained mm-hmm. uh, here in Baltimore. I did it for free. It was not perfect. It was last minute. I only had the like two days notice. And it was, it was a grim, grim place to be doing away. And the people were on opposite sides of uh, the glass. They're not even able to touch each other. It was, uh, you know, but the guy was able to stay in the country being married to his fiance. And it doesn't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Just do something, anything. You can make a difference, even if it's just in one person's life. Show up.
1: Well, on that, I'm gonna say goodbye.
0: (laughs) Okay, thank you for having me. I I I really appreciate it, and I love what you're doing.
1: Uh, Same here, same here. Take care, and have a wonderful day. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Call the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Call the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Call the Scene community. Just visit the website at HashtagCalltheScene.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.